Good morning, everyone. Hey, thanks for slip sliding your way here. For those of you who couldn't get out of your house or didn't feel comfortable driving and are watching online, thanks for being with us today. We're so glad you're here for week two of this series. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in James chapter four. So grab your Bible, James chapter four, maybe fire up your Journey Church International app. Grab your bulletin. Inside your bulletin are some notes that you can take. But before we dig into the notes, let's handle a little bit of family business together as a church. Two inserts in your bulletin I want you to hang on to. Uh, Grab these so you can be aware of these. You just heard Sherry say that I Our mission as a church is we exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. Everyone say the word we. We. The question is, does that refer to you? Uh, You say, who is we? We're not sure yet, but we hope more of us. We know as a church in the next two years, if we are really going to accomplish our mission, we need to be a church on mission which means we need to be a church moving spiritually all the times. And we we have a problem. And that problem is we have more people than seats in our auditorium. On a normal Sunday, we will do three services here. We'll do two at Summit Lakes Middle School Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. when it was still 40 degrees and raining. And the Lee Summit School District called us and said, you cannot use our building on Sunday. It will be closed because we need to get it ready for school on Monday. I literally stopped and prayed, Lord, you better send enough snow for 400 people to stay home then because we don't have, we, we can't do church just here. So, uh, Lord, don't let the storm miss us or we're going to turn hundreds of people away. Last Sunday, more than 300 people from our church had church at Summit Lakes Middle School and not here. And we are growing. God continues to send us more people, which is good. That's our mission. But we have a card in our bulletin that last week said 50-50 in 2020. This week says 50-50-100 in 2020. Say, why the change? Here's what we were looking for last week. 50 people, 50 families from our 9.30 a.m. service who normally come at 9.30 who would agree to come to church either 30 minutes earlier at Summit Lakes Middle School at 9 a.m., or go an hour later at 10.30 a.m. at Summit Lakes Middle School and 50 new people to volunteer. That was our goal. We're going to do this every Sunday in January. They got to give us 50 families who, who consider themselves we. They are journey. They are on mission. They want to see us reach more people. So just tell us what needs to happen in order to do that. We were praying 50 families would move. 50 new volunteers would sign up. We got 41 new volunteers just last Sunday who said, I'll serve once a month. We're nine short. We're going to finish that. We hope today we had nine families who said they would move. So we're, we're moving in that direction. Not as easy to move as it is to just volunteer to serve. You say, what's the 100? The 100 is now for the people who are in our 11 a.m. service. We are trying to have no more than 250 people in this room on a Sunday morning. That's probably, we, we may have just a little bit more more than that in the room right now. Um, That allows us to have room for families of four to come and sit together if they're five minutes late to service. So that's the number we want to have, 250. Last Sunday at 11 a.m., we had 350 in this room. We we didn't have three seats together anywhere in this auditorium. So we said, we got to move some people 30 minutes earlier, a mile down the street to Summit Lakes Middle School. Not forever. Uh, We ended the year by casting a a vision for a building campaign. You might remember the building that we were trying to build. Um, If we lift the roof off the building and a a 1,200 seat auditorium that will allow us to be back together, massive atrium, foyer, a, a, a big children's ministry expansion and upgrade. And we hit the goals that we needed to start moving towards this project, we think in 18 months, maybe 20 months, we could actually be living in here. But between then and now, we need some we. We need some people who say, I am Journey, I am called to help Journey accomplish this mission, who might consider moving and going to church at a different location um, or volunteering, if you'd be willing to do that. 
You can check this box. I'm willing to attend uh, Summit Lakes Middle School 2020. And we need nine more who are not volunteering, who say, I'm a part of this church. I want to help serve all the needs of our church. That's one big business of family business for our church. The next one is this. The greatest healing in our church takes place on Monday nights, not on Sunday morning. Monday nights are the nights we have our care groups at our church. Our care groups reach into the hearts of people that are broken right now. And if you're in one of four areas, you're, you've experienced a death you're trying to move through, you are experiencing a divorce, or you still are impacted deeply by a divorce from your past, you're trying to get your finances together, or you've got some addiction, abuse, uh, other areas where you just need to recover from something really, really traumatic in your past. We've got four groups that meet on Monday nights that you can see here, Grief Share, Celebrate Recovery, Divorce Care, and Financial Peace University. These will fill up because the child care space is limited. If you say, I want to have healing in 2020, and you have any of these areas where we can help you, sign up for that today. We've also added two kind of niche classes this year. We're gonna have a marriage journey class that's gonna meet for eight weeks starting the first Sunday of March during the 9.30 service. If you say, I think we have some things in our marriage that we could work on to make, make us stronger. We don't have time to go to counseling. We don't have money to go to counseling. This will be a great eight-week kind of refresher course on having a strong marriage. And we're starting an apologetics group. We only have room for 25 people, but if you wanted to learn how to answer questions of people who don't have faith, if you want to learn how to defend your faith or know more about your Christianity, one of our seminary students who's getting ready to graduate is going to be teaching an apologetics class on Sunday night um, for 12 weeks. We would love for you to be a part of that. You can sign up for that on those. We want to move the ball forward of our mission this year. We want to see more people find Jesus. We want everyone in our church to grow a little bit. And then together, we want to make a huge difference in the world. Today, we're learning about prayer. James chapter four, week two of this series that we're calling Dear God. We're trying to learn how to talk to God in this series. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish in this four weeks at Journey. One, when we get to February one, I want everyone in our church to know how to pray. Even if it's one simple outline, last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and we said if you can remember kind of this word, you can learn how to pray a little bit. Uh, in addition to that, during 21 days of prayer, if you were here with us every weekday morning, 6 to 7 a.m., Saturdays, 9 to 10, if it's not ice and snow, you, you can come and practice what you're learning. 21 days of prayer is not just about praying, it's about learning how to pray. So we're teaching people how to pray Hundreds and hundreds of people have been joining us for prayer. We would love to, to teach you how to pray. We want everyone in our church who wants to know how to pray to know how to pray by February 1. Um, that was really the content of last week's message. Today, the content of today is I want to motivate you to pray. I don't want you to just know how to pray. I want you to be motivated to pray. I want you to think, I need to pray. And then my final goal is that you would, beginning February 1 for the rest of your life, have a life-transforming prayer life. You would pray in a way that it changes you forever. Today in James chapter four, we have two goals. Here's the first one. Today we're gonna ask why most Christians don't have a prayer life. Listen, folks, if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't have a prayer life, you, ha you have to ask this. It's your first step to figuring out how you're gonna become a person of prayer. I'm not saying we're, we're gonna ask why most Christians don't pray. We believe most Christians do pray. But there's a difference between praying when a snake crawls into the crib and bites your baby in the face, if you weren't here last week, just go listen to that and you'll understand that uh, illustration a little more. There's a difference between praying when you hit the brakes on an icy road and your car starts skating instead of stopping. There's a difference between praying from time to time and having a prayer life. We're talking about a prayer life. Why don't most Christians have a prayer life? And number two, we're going to look at what we're missing by not praying. Is it a big deal? Is there anything really valuable spiritually as a follower of Jesus 
that I am missing out on because I don't have a life of prayer. Last week, the title of our Bible study was When You Pray. Jesus taught us what happened when we pray. This week, the title of our Bible study is When You Don't Pray. And James, Jesus' little brother, is going to teach us what happens when you don't pray. Before we learn about prayer, uh, we always like to pray together and ask God to speak to our hearts. Would you bow your heads here? And if you're watching online, would you take a deep breath just wherever you are? Kind of settle your heart into these moments together. Whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. If you're here today, just ask God to speak to your heart today. God, help us today to be humble enough to admit that we probably don't pray like we should. And show us why that is hurting our soul. God, we ask that you'd be very clear, but very gentle with us today. Teach us to pray just like you taught your disciples. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. We're going to read in James chapter 4. Here's what you need to understand. James is a great person to teach us about prayer. Let me give you an illustration of why I believe that. We have hundreds of leaders in our church this year who are reading through this devotional book together, My Utmost for His Highest. It's a classic devotional book in the history of the church, but there's a little bit of a misdirection on the cover of this book because it says this book was written by Oswald Chambers, and this book was not written by Oswald Chambers. This book was written by his wife. He called his wife B.D., that stood for Best Disciple, which made everyone else call her Biddy. Um, That was her nickname. He said, as my wife, she is the first person that I'm supposed to help make look like Jesus. So everyone called her Biddy Chambers. And here is the story of this book. Oswald Chambers was someone who became a Christian. He started a ministry school in his hometown, and every day he would get up and take those students and train them to start their day with a little devotional and a little time in prayer. He became an army chaplain. He was stationed in Egypt during World War I with the British forces. He had to have a minor surgery there, and he died at the age of 43. He died without ever having written this book or any other book. He was not famous while he lived, but his wife was a trained professional stenographer, and she sat in the back of all of the devotions that he gave his ministry school and his army for years, and she took shorthand of everything he said. And when he died, she said his teaching should live on. And she began to put all of his devotions in book form and publish them. She published dozens of books in his name. He has become one of the best-selling authors in the history of the Christian church, but he didn't write any of his books. His wife did. She wrote down what he said, and then she published them. And she said, after years of doing it, it's just a way for me to continue to feel close to the spiritual impact of my husband. James is a little bit like Biddy Chambers. James is the little brother of Jesus, but he was not a follower of Jesus before Jesus' crucifixion. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe in any of Jesus' spiritual teaching. He really didn't follow Jesus, but the Bible tells us that after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he made an appointment to go sit down and talk to James. And after that, James became not only a follower of Jesus, but one of the leaders in the church. But James would have had less than a month a face-to-face time with Jesus as a follower of his to talk to him, to get to know him. So James developed, according to the early church, a very passionate prayer life. I would guess if we were to talk to James, James would say that was the way to make up for all of the missed time, all the conversations I would have wanted to have 
with my brother Jesus about who he was and how he wanted to live his life. I tried to have now that he's gone. He prayed so much, as a matter of fact, that his nickname in church history is Old Camel Knees. They said he prayed so much on his knees that his knees became calloused and like leather. And people made fun of him because they said his knees looked like the knees of a camel because he spent so much time praying. James is a great person to teach us about prayer. And today what we're trying to learn from James is why don't people pray And what do they miss when they don't pray? That's what we're asking today. Why don't Christians have a prayer life? James chapter four, one through three gives us some reasons. And here's what James says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Why don't most Christians have a prayer life? According to James, if you were to just read through those verses and begin to circle reasons that people weren't praying, James would say our desires, our wants, the battles that we're fighting at work, our pleasures are currently keeping us from having a prayer life. James was very eloquent. James was articulate. James listed a lot of different things. But here's what I believe James was saying. When I talk to Christians, when I talk to people who consider themselves followers of Jesus, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're really glad that you're here. You're always welcome here. Hopefully you'll learn some things about Christianity while you sit in our church. If you have any questions for us, we'd love to answer them for you. But I think James is basically saying this. When I talk to Christians and say, hey, do you think prayer is important? I don't meet any. I'll be honest with you. I I don't meet any Christian who says, prayer's stupid. It's not important. I don't want to pray. I don't meet one or two out of 10 who, when I say, hey, tell me why you don't have a prayer life that they say, because that's dumb and I don't want to. But I don't meet one or two Christians out of 10 who pray every day, who prayed last year, 300 days out of 365, which would be missing two full months of prayer. So you say, what's the disconnect? When I, when I ask Christians, do you think prayer is important? Everyone says, oh yeah, of course. But when I say, then why don't you pray? Almost every answer boils down to this summary. I'm just really busy. I'm just really busy. I mean, I intend to pray. But like James says, the things I've got going on in my life, the things that I'm working for in my life that are really important to me, the things that I'm battling in my life with my health, with my finances, with my family, with my work, like... Just everyday life kind of just keeps me tied up. I just, I just don't have time. And I think the truth of prayer as the church in 2020 addresses prayer is this. A life of prayer isn't unimportant to really any Christian, but it's just not most important. And when it doesn't start at the top of the list, it doesn't make the list most days. Does anyone want to say amen? Like y'all agree, y'all agree to that? For most Christians, prayer isn't unimportant. It's just not most important. And when it's not most important, it just doesn't end up making the list of those things that are important most days. But it should, because a life of prayer is critically important. And James is going to teach us when you don't pray, you're missing out on two things that he believes and that I believe are really important to you. As a matter of fact, James says, when you don't pray, you're missing out on two things you're actually pursuing. You're just kind of looking in the wrong place. When you don't pray, you miss out on two pretty important things. What are they? Number one, when you don't pray, James says, you miss out on God's wisdom. 
When you don't pray, James says, you miss out on God's wisdom. Folks, if we could create a pill, if we could write a book, if we could create some kind of formula that did this, that helped everyone understand God's will for their life, we would have so many billions of dollars that we would not know what to do with it because my guess is there are more than 7 billion people on planet earth that if there really was a God's will for their life, they would pay to know what it is. That's my belief. That if God really had a will for your life, you would do almost anything you could to figure out what that was. And James says, God does have a will for your life. God does have wisdom for your life. But when you don't pray, you miss out on it. Look at James chapter one, verses five through eight. Here's how James starts his entire letter. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded. They are unstable in all that they do. You say, Christian, how exactly does praying give me wisdom? Um, you're, you're saying that if I pray, God will tell me what I need to do in an area that I don't know what to do. And how, how does that happen? That's a great question. You're asking me to, to answer a supernatural question with a natural response, and I really, I really can't. It happens in a lot of different ways. But because I believe the scripture and because I've experienced it, I believe when we pray, God gives us wisdom in areas when we need wisdom. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Here's how I think God does it, but this is a natural picture, not a supernatural answer. Um, I, I hate being anywhere but in the mountains when it snows. Like if there's snow, if there's snow on the ground but you can't ski, it seems worthless to me for there to be snow on the ground. So when it started snowing yesterday, immediately I thought, man, why, like why are we not up in the mountains of Colorado skiing? Snow is for skiing. When it snows, we should ski. I love everything about the mountains of Colorado. I love driving into them and seeing just the grandeur of the magnitude of the mountains. It, lets, it reminds me how big God is. I love looking at the stars on a dark night from the mountains because you're like two miles closer to them than you are here in Kansas City. And man, the sky just looks so big. Remind you of how great God is. I, I do love skiing down the slopes. I love the ski culture, but I love as I drive in and out of the mountains, I love looking for animals along the side of the road that I like would never see in Kansas City. And I've always loved for some reason seeing animals in nature rather than in a zoo. It just to me, seeing God's creation in its natural habitat, it just like ministers to my soul. So like as soon as I head out of Denver up into the mountains, man, I'm looking on the side of the road for moose, for elk. There's that little place just past Genesee Pass as you head out of Denver that has a, a herd of buffalo that sometimes is on the right and sometimes is on the left. But it, it's just crazy to see a herd of buffalo in America in 2020 hanging out. Every now and then you'll hit a pack of elk somewhere. And every time I see an animal, you'll catch a bighorn ram just standing up on the mountains. To me, it's just majestic seeing God's creation in its natural state. I love it. And normally what is happening is as I drive up the mountain, my eyes are scanning, looking to see one of God's creations, an elk, a moose, a, um, you know, a bear, a, a, a bighorn sheep standing beside the road, the buffalo as we head through Genesee Pass. And when I, when I finally see it, I'm almost always with my family and I say, look, there's, there's a bighorn ram or look at that elk or look at that. And normally by the time they look up from whatever they've been looking at on the car trip, they miss it. I've seen it, but they miss it. I believe that's how God gives you wisdom when you pray. I believe when you pray, it focuses your eyes on what God wants to see 
God wants you to see and, and you see it. Now, I believe when you don't pray, I still believe it's there. I believe God's wisdom is to be had in the word. I believe it's to be had in our spirit. I believe it's to be had in small groups and conversations. But when we pray, prayer focuses our eyes in the direction of God's wisdom. And it's like we see what so many other people miss because their heads are buried in something else and our eyes are looking for the wisdom of God. And most Christians do that on the big things. I mean, if there's something really, really big, God, we need your help. Most Christians pray. But when you pray about the big things and kind of do all the everyday things on your own, you find yourself caught in between. Because when God makes half your decisions and you make half your decisions, it brings instability to your life. And James said there's a lot of people that are kind of double-minded. In the big things, they want God's help. In the everyday things, they just kind of make all their own decisions. And he said it, it leaves them feeling unstable. And maybe you're here today and you feel shaky spiritually. The picture that James is drawing for Christians that always feel kind of caught between two worlds is James said, you can't have one foot in spiritually and one foot out spiritually. You can't have Sunday morning, you're in spiritually, and then Monday through Saturday, you're, you're out spiritually. You can't have on the big things and the bad things that you're all in spiritually, but on the everyday things when there's no problems, it's all about you spiritually because you're going to find your mind divided. And even people who watch you are going to try to figure out, man, you seem like you, you're kind of duplicitous in the way you talk and the way you act and the decisions you make, because a lot of your decisions, it seems like you put some spiritual time into. And then a lot of you just make on your own. You say, well, how, how do I know if I'm asking God to help me or if I'm making my own decisions? Every decision you made last week without prayer is your decision. And most of us make most of our decisions without God unless they're really big. And James says, don't do that because you're missing, even in the little things, you're missing God's wisdom. Some of you, God very clearly has direction for the thing you need direction for this year, but you've not asked him and you're driving right by it every day. He's bringing it into your path so that as you focus your eyes towards him, you see it but you're driving right by it because your eyes are focused somewhere else. James says, man, you should pray. But when you don't pray, you miss God's wisdom. And he wants to give it to you generously without finding fault. He's not gonna make you jump through any hoops to get it. But you have to look for it. You have to ask for it. Maybe you're not receiving God's wisdom for your life if you're not praying. Number two, James says, when you don't pray, you miss out on God's peace. When you don't pray, you miss out on God's peace. Luke 18, one is, is one of the most simplistic verses on prayer in the entire Bible. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. It says, he spoke a parable to them that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. Men ought to always pray and not lose heart. That word lose heart there means to give up, to give over, or to lose all confidence about. To lose all hope in. So Jesus taught his disciples, there's really two ways to look at everything in life. Watch this. Two ways to look at everything in life. You can lose all hope or you can pray. Those are your two options. Option A, option B. Here's how you look at everything in life. Eventually, everything you look at in life will cause you to lose all hope or you can pray. Which one will you choose? Folks, if you were to ask me, I would say we have way too few Christians praying. And I believe that because we have way too many Christians losing hope. Amen? I, I know we've got too many married people, too few married people praying, 
because we have too many who have lost hope. I know we have too few parents praying because we have too many parents that have lost hope. Hey, let's go big, right? I know we have too many American Christians not praying because we have too many American Christians who have lost all hope. See, you sit in one camp or the other. You are someone who prays or someone who loses all hope. So Jesus said, so you don't lose all hope, let me teach you how to pray because that will always fill your heart with hope. Another word we use spiritually is peace, God's peace. See, I believe that every person in here is on the exact same search spiritually. Every day, every week, every year in our lifetime, we are all hoping to get to the point where we can do this. Watch this. Here's the goal of every day, every week, every year, our lifetime. We're all hoping to get to the point where we can do this. That's the picture spiritually of peace, of rest, of completion, of being done. That is, if the word Sabbath had a picture in our eyes, here's here's the picture of the word Sabbath, rest, and peace spiritually. That's that's what you want to get to every day. Like most people, when they wake up, they're hoping to do something that day that will lead them at the end of the day to be able to go. Most people, when they start their week, are hoping to get to Friday at four or five or six o'clock so that they can, on their weekend, do this. Most people are working towards retirement their entire career so they can get to 50, 55, 60, 65, 70, so one day they can do this. Most people who have seniors in high school are just praying their kids will get to graduation so they can go. Most parents with toddlers in their house are just hoping their kids make it to kindergarten age so they can go. We're all on the same search. We're just trying to figure out one day at a time, one moment at a time, one week at a time, one lifetime at a time how to have peace. I have taken one too many deep breaths and exhale because I feel like I'm going to pass out and I was like... Okay, don't, don't, I'm lightheaded now. Don't do that anymore. We're all looking for the exact same thing, peace. But here's the reality. Folks, we're not on the wrong search. We're, we're headed towards the right thing. We're just, all, we're just all using the wrong map. Like I think if you looked at our GPS, we would all have in our life GPS. I just wanna get to the point every day where at the end of every day I can go. At the end of this week, here's where I hope to get to by Friday at five o'clock this week. Here's where I hope to get to by 65, 67. Here's where I hope to get to by the time my kids get to kindergarten. Here's where I hope to get to in this crisis in my marriage right now. Here's where I hope to get to as I process the the tragedy that I dealt with with a friend or a family member, a loved one or a neighbor. We're just all hoping to get to peace. We just all wanna get to rest. And Jesus said, man, I have put that desire in your heart because I am the answer to that desire. He actually says in John 14, 27, if you really want peace, your first decision has to be to come to me for it. You got to pray. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives, meaning Friday at five, you go, and then Monday it starts all over again. I don't give that way. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Jesus says, I got your peace. You just got to ask me for it. For those that desire God's peace in their life, Jesus has it. He has it. He said in John 24 or John chapter 14, I got it. Come to me and I'll be willing to share it with you if you will pray.
You say, man, Christian, that's the, that's the goal of my life. 2020 is going to be the year that I finally, after 30 years in the industry that I work in, that I, but what's going to happen is retirement does not bring peace like Jesus brings retirement. Finishing Friday at five o'clock does not bring peace like Jesus brings peace. Having a great day tomorrow at work and going Monday at five does not make Tuesday morning any easier. Only Jesus brings peace. And if you desire God's peace in your life, Jesus has it. He'll share it with you, but you gotta ask him. You gotta pray. And if you don't pray, you miss the very thing you're living all of your life for. I had, I had kind of a transform, transformative experience in this thought uh, this week during 21 days of prayer on Thursday. You know, it's interesting. Information sticks in your head until God inspires you to act on it, and then it be, can become transformation. And that, that happened with me. Thursday, Pastor Ryan was leading our 21 days of prayer devotional, um, and he was speaking on Philippians 4, chap, 4 chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Anxiety, worry, and peace. Here's what Philippians 4 reads. If, if I were to give you Pastor Ryan's devotion in just a, an abbreviated state, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. He said, don't, don't be anxiety-filled about anything. I've heard that verse summarized this way. Pray about everything, don't worry about anything. Like that's, that's a pretty great way to remember. Just pray about everything, don't worry about anything. So Pastor Ryan is preaching on prayer. He's preaching on worry. And here's what he asks us to do. He gives us that verse and says, if we pray, we'll have peace. And then at the end, he, you know, he gave two or three little challenges. Here's the two or three things I want you to pray through. And the second thing that he asked us to pray through is he asked us to release whatever things we were holding on to that were causing us to worry. He stood like right here on the stage and here's what he did. He said, the things that you're holding on to that are causing you to worry, he said, I want you to release those, release them. So I'm a, I'm a good student, I'm a good follower. I usually do exactly what the teacher tells me. So during my prayer time, I'm down here on my, on my chair and my knees and I'm praying through things and I get to that point where I'm supposed to release the things that worry me. And I just said, God, I think these are the things I'm holding on to causing me a little anxiety, causing me a little worry, uh, causing me to be upset a little bit. So I'm gonna release them to you. And I opened my hands and I just began to name them. And as I did, some strange happened. As I did, I began to feel peace about all of them. Now, here's what's really interesting. None of those prayers were answered yet. They were like seconds old, but I had already begun to feel peace about them. And God spoke to my heart, I believe, for this message, because I'd already made this message, but this line wasn't in here. As I began to pray and release things to God, what I found is that peace is found in praying, not in receiving the answers to your prayers. Like I'm praying, and as I pray, I can just feel the anxiety and the worry, literally like leaving my fingertips as I open my hands to God and say, God, these things. And as I begin to pray, I just begin to feel peace about all of them. Nothing has changed except I have taken what I was in control of and given it to God, and he had exchanged it for peace. He'd given me his peace. Peace is found in praying, not in receiving the answer to those prayers. So, so we need to pray. James says you should pray, especially if you need God's wisdom, and I do. Maybe I'm the only one, but I do. James says you should pray, especially if you want God's 
and I do. Maybe I'm the only one, but I do. So let's, so let's pray. My challenge to you as we leave this message, it's kind of a weird challenge, but I think you'll get it as I explain it. My challenge to you in your life for the life of our church is make prayer a noun instead of a verb in your life. Make prayer a noun instead of a verb in your life. You say, what does that mean? Prayer is an action. Prayer is a verb. Unless you say it this way, James was a prayer. And then it's a noun. Jesus was a prayer. Elijah, we learned last week from James. Elijah was a prayer. Are you a prayer? Would anyone define you or describe you as a prayer? Not someone who prays, but a, but a prayer. Like, that's just who you are. You're a, you're a prayer. And everyone knows that about you. You are a prayer. Because if you are a prayer, then you are someone who's going to catch the wisdom of God as you drive through the mountains, the peaks and the valleys of your life, the sunshine and the storm. If you are a prayer, as you drive down the road of life, you're going to catch God's wisdom standing on either side of the road. And you're going to say, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. Because your eyes are focused towards heaven. And if you are a prayer, the going to feel different to you than others because you don't have to start every day with picking up the anxiety again. You get to just keep giving it to Jesus and have the peace that he offers, but you have to pray. Let prayer be a noun in your life so that wisdom can be found in your heart, so that peace can be real in your soul. Just pray. Just pray. Let's pray together.